As an entrepreneur, one way or the other, you know how to maximize resources and pull yourself up from your bootstraps if you're just starting out in business. However, effectively bootstrapping a business means, on some level, you know how to strategize and use what you have in order to capitalize on your competitive advantage as an entrepreneur. Pat Ahern is the managing partner at Intergrowth, where they help underdogs upset industry leaders through SEO-centric content marketing. They bootstrapped from 2 to 50 employees in five years by focusing on hiring the right people and developing a process-driven service which delivers results every time. Meanwhile, according to the Search Engine Journal and a Pulp Fish survey commissioned by UpCity, it found that only 44% of businesses have an SEO strategy in place and only 34% of businesses made it a priority to do so in 2022. Ahern joined me this week to emphasize the importance of using SEO to gain an upper hand on your competition, how he bootstraps businesses successfully through SEO, and he also provided some tips on how to achieve business longevity by using the internet. I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. It's my pleasure, Kevin. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Now, Pat, I know you're the CEO and founder of a company called Intergrowth that helps underdogs utilize SEO to sort of uh, find their way through uh, industry leaders and gain an advantage there. So I'm wondering if you can tell me about all the great work that you do. Yeah, I would love to. So. Yeah, Intergrowth. So I started it uh, with my former business partner back in about 2016. Uh, since that time, he's left to go really focus on a couple other ventures. Uh, but I'm still running the show over at Intergrowth. So the whole focus of our team is to empower the underdogs 
to really overtake the industry leaders as fast as possible. Our team's whole focus is identifying what are the most valuable themes that their customers are looking for online every month, writing the best resources on the internet about those subject matters, and helping our clients to overrank and overtake their competitors for all of those high-value themes so that they get to win the customer at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And tell me about utilizing a search engine optimization and why it's so important for businesses to gain a competitive advantage. Great question. So the the most recent study I saw, I believe was from 2019 or 2020. It was a study from Bright Edge that pointed out that 68% of all online experiences begin with a search engine. So if we round it and say two-thirds of a typical website's customers are coming to them from search engines like Google, Bing, Yahoo, you name it. So the whole focus of SEO is saying, hey, two-thirds of your customers are likely finding you from a search engine. Why don't we focus more efforts on how you can get more of those customers to find you? If two-thirds of your business comes from this one channel, Let's make sure we are doing everything we can to win over the people that are already looking for you on that channel. The added benefit that comes into play is with SEO, you can get a lot of these uh, just newer brands that haven't really established themselves quite yet to massively scale their customer base by identifying what is it that their customers are looking for online every month, giving their customers the exact solution that they're looking for and ultimately winning over those customers when those customers are actively looking for them. Yeah, absolutely. And Pat, I know you've been in sort of the entrepreneurial realm now for well over uh, 10 years, my friend. So I'm, I'm curious to ask you, what do you think is the biggest lesson you've learned as an entrepreneur? Oh, man. Um, I, I'll share a couple quick lessons. Uh, that I, I, I'd struggle to, to prioritize them one over the other. I think for me, I've, I've been really fortunate to have a lot of great people helping me out along the way, but I've also, in hindsight, been really fortunate to fail almost every time that I've tried to start a business. Um, Intergrowth, fortunately, has been coming along great so far. We have a phenomenal team behind us that is really the reason that we're succeeding today. Uh, but prior to that, I think last time I counted, it was like six, seven, or eight previously failed ventures in the past. Um, so for me, I think one of the the lessons that it's been a little bit easier to keep in mind because of all the failures is the importance of not letting ego to come into play, not letting ego get the best of you, uh, to stay humble and to try and continue just being a little bit better every day. Uh, what I've seen is in the scenarios where I've let ego get the best of me, that's when I tend to make really dumb mistakes. It's when I tend to make quick decisions that aren't in the best long-term interest of the company. So I'd say keep ego at bay. It can be your worst enemy. Uh, But the other thing I would say that I think is probably even more important is the value of building a great team around you. So over the years, we have about 45 people on the team at large today. I would guess we've probably hired 100, 150 people over the years. Um, Some of those people have done phenomenal work and gone on to other great opportunities. Other people haven't been the right long-term fit. Uh, And then quite a few people have stayed around for several years at this point. 
But the number one thing that drives success for our business is that we've managed to bring in a remarkable team of individuals. Uh, so I would say at a very high level, building a great team around you, I think is probably the number one factor that has led to us being this successful so far. You know, Pat, as an old sports reporter, I'm reminded of the adage that you're only as good as your best player, right? I love it. I love it. I'd argue, though, that, uh, yeah, I mean, it's similar to baseball, right, in that you can have one one superstar that's out there, but if you just have one superstar and then a bunch of B or C players on top of them, your team's not going to do that well. So it's great to have you know a few superstars. I'd say it's even more important, though, to build a phenomenal team all around, have a great pitcher, have a great DH, have a great first baseman, so on and so forth. And really build that that cohesive team that succeeds as a unit. Yeah, and here my statue. You brought up something that piqued my interest. So I'll just follow up with this. You said you try to be a, a little bit better each day. You went to the business realm. So tell me, how do you challenge yourself to be one percent better than the, than you were the day before? Oh, that's a great question. So challenging myself to be 1% better, I think part of it is building the habit of reflection and then building the habit of personal development. Uh, so the reflection side of things, what I do every quarter is I sit down and I look at what went well for the business, what didn't go as well as I'd liked, what are the biggest threats ahead of us, what are the biggest strengths, weaknesses. So basically doing a SWOT analysis, S-W-O-T for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Sitting down and then conducting that every single quarter to see what are the biggest strengths and opportunities that we need to capitalize on next quarter and the quarter after that. What are the biggest threats and weaknesses that we really need to safeguard ourselves against gives a ton of ideation for the areas that our team should really focus on. Uh, within that, as we've identified once as we've ultimately identified what are those biggest opportunities, what are those biggest threats, what our team specifically does is every member of the team gets assigned to one quarterly project. We refer to them as quarterly nugs. And ultimately, this is outside of client work, the primary focal point that every member of the team is focusing on. Um, so right now, my nug is entirely focused on improving our entire sales workflow process, um, creating a little bit better automation, uh, being able to collect better information from people who reach out to us to work with us and more. So every quarter, as we're identifying those big strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, we can look at it and say, okay, here are the biggest threats that we really need to tackle this upcoming quarter. Here are the biggest opportunities that we need to tackle as well. So that is very helpful on a quarterly basis. And then also looking back at the end of the year and saying, what are some of the other macro opportunities that we really need to focus on in the next two to three years? Um, second side of that is focusing on personal development. So this is something I would say that I'm still really bad about doing. But in theory, I set aside a couple of hours every week, typically like right around my lunchtime, to focus on reading newsletters from other industry experts that I uh, trust and respect, and also trying to read about industry trends that I really need to focus on growing in. Uh, so one more, uh, I would say, like granular example, Google Analytics, the primary analytics platform we use, they are rolling out a really massive update to their system. And 
with that update, uh, ultimately there's this new platform that they're rolling out referred to as Google Analytics 4. Uh, without getting too deep into weeds, it's a totally different platform than what they've had in the past. And for me, I was really comfortable with their old system and now need to learn this entirely new system. So part of the things I've been focusing on is sitting down maybe for an hour every week and saying, okay, let me sit down and learn more about this tool. Who are the experts on this tool? And how can I play around and figure out where different data points are within this tool so I can get more and more comfortable with that? So typically yeah. I'll do that on a yeah, on a weekly basis, but I'll I'll cut the rambling from there. Yeah, sorry there. I, I was excited to ask you uh, my next question because I know you've hired, as you said, multiple employees over the years. And, you know, Pat, outside of hosting this podcast, I worked with businesses to amplify the hiring of folks with disabilities as well. So when we look at hiring and management and marketing, how do you think we can accomplish that from a more inclusive one so that uh, people of all abilities have a chance to enter the workforce or entre entrepreneurship at all? It's a great question. So I think the what's tough is figuring out the actionability to shift the perspective on it. So I'm, I'm a firm believer that the best thing that you can do is hire a diverse team in every way possible. Um, last time I counted, we had people on the team, I think it was from eight different countries and 30 different states of the U.S. Um, those numbers, I'm sure, have shifted a little bit. But we found, ultimately, we've been successful today because we've hired people that think very differently. Um, it's not just a bunch of white Americans. It's people from all sorts of different cultural backgrounds that are coming onto our team, are contributing different insights. And because of that, we're able to share unique perspectives with our clients. And I would argue are better off than some of the businesses that may only hire people that, let's say, live within a 30-minute drive of their office. Ultimately, that's one of the big principles that our company was built on. Um, it doesn't sound, I would say, quite as radical today, but back in 2015, 2016, our theory was the finance economy and globalization are the future. And ultimately, we built our business on the premise of making it really easy to find the best people across the world and bring them onto our team. Or I should say, making it really easy once we find these individuals to come onto our team, work the hours that are convenient for them. So from our business, I would say we've, we could always be better, but we've I would say done a pretty good job of embracing diversity on our team. That being said, I think maybe the biggest thing I could share here would be for other entrepreneurs listening, if if you choose to hire individuals who are radically similar, let's say, um, whether in their belief system, whether their educational background, whether the country or state they grew up in, to a large degree, you are oftentimes going to be limiting yourself in how you can actually help clients. In the realm of marketing, being able to understand different types of customers that we might be helping out from different perspectives. Um, in any other business, I'd argue that you can get the same things coming into play. The more you can build a team that reflects how the world actually works and the different perspectives that you'll see across the world, the more successful you'll be as a team, I would argue. So there are a lot of phenomenal platforms that help with that. Um, for our team, Upwork is the 
platform that we swear by. That is, I would ballpark probably where 80% of our team members have come from over the years. I can't recommend it highly enough because you can find phenomenal individuals. You can ultimately see their reviews from other past working experiences. Um, and I would say when you find a great individual, hire them for a test project and assuming uh, they're up to your expectations and you're up to their expectations, scale up their workload from there. Yeah, diversity is a strength, isn't it? I would definitely say so. Yeah, absolutely. So, about uh, let's turn your back to your comfort zone and content marketing and ask everybody, what do you think is the secret to really maximizing your online presence and creating content that leaves an impact for the intended audience? Great question. So, what we see time and time again is that the best content marketers out there succeed by focusing on four different types of content for their business. Um, and I'll, exp I'll start out with those at a high level and then we'll dive into those. So the four types of content are awareness content, sales-centric content, thought leadership content, and culture content. What we see time and time again is the best way for businesses to scale up is by pairing those four types of content together that each serve very unique goals and ultimately scale up their business from there. So for starting out, awareness content is oftentimes the first type of content we recommend focusing on. Awareness content is going to be largely based on topics that people are searching for online every month. These are going to be topics that you can find from a keyword research tool like Ahrefs or SEMrush in order to identify what do your customers search for online every month. Awareness content is the best tool to get more people to hear about your brand and to win over Mindshare by winning people over from search engine result pages. So starting out with awareness content to get people to find your business. We then focus on sales-centric content, which is maybe going to focus on things like case studies, customer reviews, and more, but ultimately the type of content that shows potential customers why they'll benefit specifically from working with you. Uh, that could also be comparisons of how you're different than your competitors when you're a uniquely better solution than them. We then get into the third type of content, which is thought leadership content. And this is opportunities for business to share their unique perspectives on different elements within their business or within their greater industry. It could be sharing unique processes to how they accomplish things. It could be sharing uh, beliefs on where their industry is going, but ultimately the type of content that helps them to showcase that they are experts in their line of business. The fourth piece of content that really comes into play is culture content. This is going to be any type of content that helps to showcase your team culture. So things like doing interviews of existing employees to give them an opportunity to share their story, um, sharing about volunteer opportunities that you and your team work on. But ultimately, the types of content that give people, I would say, excitement about the business that they work with that allow them to be more proud of the company that they're part of and actually help others who might be considering working with you to see what it looks like to work on your team and decide if you're the right employer for them. So you consolidate those four together. Awareness brings far more visibility for your business. Sales-centric content drives far more customers with that additional visibility. Thought leadership content helps you to earn more trust from your customers and others in your industry so you can build an even stronger brand. 
and culture content helps you to build and retain a strong team. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, building on uh, your last answer there, Pat, I'm curious to also ask, too, you know, as entrepreneurs, a lot of the times people are, are still uh, in, uh, uh, they have a great idea, but they don't have the marketing prowess to get, get it to market. You know, one of uh, my uh, mentors has always told me, you know if the market, uh, you, you know if you have a good idea if the market responds to it, right? So how do you think entrepreneurs can, can avoid sort of falling in love with an idea if the market says no to something? And how do you know something is a, an emerging trend versus, versus a one-hit wonder? I, lo I love those questions. So... I've, uh, I've, uh, I, I would say I've failed on a few different occasions with businesses that I didn't follow this advice for, uh, and that advice is basically going to be to to test uh, and ultimately build out the smallest version of your product, the minimum viable product, before you really start investing more heavily in it. Uh, so one of the first businesses I tried to start was a business that I was really passionate about. I started it in college. I was working nights and weekends, sleeping very little, and putting all of my free time into building this up. I spent about a year building it before I realized that no one had really seemingly any interest in this platform that I was building. Um, took a really big hit to my ego. It was really painful to shut that idea down. Uh, but if I had been, I would say, more open-minded, more willing to listen to feedback from other people, I probably could have realized after three months that, hey, it was a cool idea, but customers didn't actually want it. Um, so my takeaway from that is, and I, I live by this motto today, if you think you have an idea that customers are going to be interested in, build out the lowest or the simplest version of that product that you possibly can and try to get five to 10 paying customers who are willing to give you, say, $100 for that product or for that service. If you can validate that there are five to 10 people that are willing to pay a small amount of money for it, you might have a great idea. However, if you are struggling to get five or 10 people to pay for that product, to pay for that service, it probably doesn't make sense to build out that product at the moment. You could try pivoting, you could go after a different customer base, you could totally change the product based on feedback. But my advice would be don't try and build anything out until you have a few people that are willing to pay you based on what they're seeing from that early version of the product. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we talked about uh, the different types of content marketing. And, uh, you know, I, I'm also curious to ask you, what do you create great content content marketing, how do you use it effectively to grow a business? Because a lot of people can create good content, but if you don't know how to use it, 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 it renders itself ineffective. So how do you think we can use great content once it's created to grow a business? Yeah, absolutely. So what we found the most success with is for each piece of content, identifying, first of all, how are people going to find that content? And then from there, what is the singular goal of each of those pieces of content? 
So for us, with something like awareness content, what we see time and time again is that people are going to find that from search engines. Uh, assuming the content is created correctly, it's optimized for search, that's the type of content that is going to start ranking in Google for all sorts of high value themes that your customers are looking for every month. So if you're effectively creating awareness content, visibility should be coming as you publish more and more of those articles and people start searching for those themes and you start ranking for them. On the other hand, let's say something like sales-centric content. You're writing a comparison piece about why you're uniquely better in some regards than uh, one of your biggest competitors. Maybe some of your customers are looking for that online. A lot of them probably aren't looking on it online for it yet, though, if you're a, a less established brand, let's say. So in those scenarios, what you can then do is try and funnel readers from your awareness content to some of that sales-centric content by including links in those individual articles. You can also share those types of content in your email newsletters for people that subscribe to read the latest insights that you have to share about your industry. Uh, you can share it on social media, obviously, especially as you build more and more of a following. You can also set up all sorts of different paid ads for it. So you could set up Facebook ads, Twitter ads, Quora ads, you name it as a way to really build more visibility to a lot of those individual posts. Thought leadership content works in a very similar manner where you probably aren't gonna have quite as many people looking for a lot of these unique processes that your team rolls out, but you may be able to get them in front of the biggest industry leaders in your space by promoting it on social media, setting some paid ad budget behind it. The culture-centric content is gonna be a phenomenal opportunity to publish on your website, and then share with your team and encourage them to share it with all their friends, family, and colleagues on social media as well. So you can build up the visibility from there. So what I would ultimately say is start by identifying how are people going to find this content? And then from there, you can ultimately say, what is the singular goal we want people to achieve when they find this content? You can then take it a step further to set up all sorts of goals to see how effectively are we getting customers to actually achieve this goal that we're hoping to achieve for this particular piece of content? And if you're not meeting the own benchmarks that you set for yourself, you can revisit it, figure out how can you tweak the content to drive better results, and ultimately pivot the efforts from there to drive even better results moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Pat, I'm also wondering your thoughts on the emergence of digital content versus written content. You know, everything now is on the internet. So I, I, I'm curious to get your perspective on, do you think digital content is sort of overriding the written content, or do you still think there's a place for written content on the internet? Hmm. So to clarify, uh, you're talking about written content as in, let's say, like a, a newspaper that you may buy and be able to read the physical copy, correct? Exactly, yeah. Absolutely. So I that's a good question. I have very mixed feelings about it. For me, I would say I do most of my reading on the internet. Uh, unless it's a physical book. I do have a Kindle that I use from time to time, but I don't think there's anything that matches reading a physical book. Uh, the Kindle is really strictly if I go somewhere and it's a bit easier to bring with me. 
I think that there's always going to be some customer base that wants that physical, yeah, call it that physical book, letter, magazine, newspaper, you name it, because they enjoy consuming content through that medium. What I would say is even more important, though, is for those that currently have a, let's say, a physical form in which their content is delivered, I push them to hedge their bets and not just share that on a physical form, but also create an online channel that people can access it as well. We ultimately live in an era where there are certainly more blogs on the internet every single day than day before. But ultimately, everyone has the ability to create a website, whether it's through a platform like WordPress, whether it is a codeless solution or a no-code solution like Webflow, like Squarespace, let's say, or like Wix. So there are, I would say, very little barriers to entry for someone to build their own website, create content, and publish that content on their website. So let's say you're a local newspaper. You can absolutely still have a physical newspaper but it may also be a phenomenal opportunity for you to create a website for your local newspaper, publish all the uh, individual stories on that website, and then set up ads as well so that you can collect revenue when people want to read it online. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Pat, I, you know, I don't have to tell you that marketing isn't a science, but it also requires a bit of common sense as well. So how do you think people can implement common sense into their marketing and content strategy? Yeah, good question. So what I would say is a, a great way to approach it. You know, I like to, it, our team comes at it from a unique perspective and that we're, we're a marketing agency. So ultimately our, the product that we sell to customers is deliverables that help businesses to grow. Uh, so our team will have a slightly different approach, I would say, than a lot of other business owners that are using marketing to directly get more customers. What I can say has been really effective for us, and I would recommend to other business owners, is heavily relying on data. And when you can't find data to back your ideas, to see how can you run the smallest scale test possible with those creative ideas that you're coming up with, to see if you should scale that up from there. So tangible example of that, you know, let's say, let's say you're theorizing that it would be really beneficial for your business to write about a particular topic related to your industry. And your theory is, hey, we should really focus on writing 50 plus different articles over the next two years about this particular theme. That's a pretty massive investment to write 50 articles over a couple of years. What you could do those, you could start out by saying, hey, on top of the other content that we're producing that we know works time and time again because we see the data behind it, you could say, hey, let's try writing three articles over the next uh, three months, let's say. So one article per month. Let's see if we get any visibility, if we get any customers from it. And if so, let's 10x those efforts from there. If we start seeing the visibility and the customers that we're looking for, then we can scale up. If not, we can go back to those other approaches that we know have worked for us historically and we can have a general sense of what the outcomes will look like if we continue working on those efforts. Uh, a good way of, another good way of putting it is maybe to say, once you have an approach that works for your business, I'd encourage on the marketing side of things, focus on 10% innovation, 90% repetition. Spend 90% of your marketing dollars on the things that you know work because you have the data to back it. And then the other 10% testing out new theories and scaling up 
investment in those new theories once you can prove that they are great opportunities to pursue. And I, I would assume that you would have a, 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 similar, a similar line of advice when it comes to expanding a business too, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. So, and we could even take that back to the product side of things. You know, let's say, let's say your business uh, is considering rolling out a brand new product. Rolling out a brand new product, doing all the product development behind it, doing the marketing behind it, and then fulfilling those orders, it's a pretty massive investment. If you can start out by maybe creating a, an initial page on your website that says, hey, we currently have this particular product in development right now, sign up with your email address to join the waitlist. And maybe you set a goal for yourself that you need to be able to get 500 people who join the waitlist before you build the product out. And then from there, as the product is almost ready, you email all the people on the waitlist and you say, hey, this product is officially going to be ready in, you know, call it a month. And maybe you say, hey, since you're the initial set of subscribers, we're actually going to give you a 20% discount on your first order if you order within the next 10 days. Uh, and then hopefully from there, they can get 50 different orders that come out of it and ultimately validate that initial product and then scale up the sales for it from there. But at the same time, let's say you roll out that landing page, you can't get those 500 subscribers, you've now wasted zero resources building out that product. And instead, you found this great learning lesson that based on the sample uh, experiments that you ran, the marketing tests that you put out there, Maybe it's not the right time for that product, or maybe you didn't market it in the right manner. So you hold off on building the product, and you go on to the next idea from there. Yeah, and, and you know, Pat, I'm fascinated to ask you, because you just moved out to Sweden, as you shared with me about a year ago. So tell me about living internationally, what sparked the interest to do it, and how you like the, uh, the culture shift there, my friend. Yeah, great question. I So I love it out here as a whole. Um, I would say that it really started out, I, I met my now wife when I was studying abroad out here back in uh, 2014, I believe it was, uh, and really just loved the country as a whole and ended up meeting my now wife when I was studying out here. She and I did long distance uh, with a bit of time of her living in the US, me visiting Sweden, um, ultimately, my visa was finally accepted after a couple of years for me to move over here as well. So since that time, the focus has been saying, hey, how can we set up the business in a manner where I can move to Sweden and can still be able to get my job done? Um, so it's been, I would say, a really exciting challenge. You know, there's there's a lot that comes to shifting part of your business entity to another country. Uh, there are a lot of hoops to jump through. And... I would say certain parts are not very fun, but you definitely learn a lot from the experience. Um, Sweden as a whole is just a, it's a remarkable place. You know, I, I love to, to give Sweden a really hard time because the winters are pretty brutal. It's, uh, it gets pretty cold and pretty dark. And, but then you look at the inverse side of things, the summers, it is arguably the greatest place in the world. You get, you know, 20 hours of daylight in some cases in Stockholm. Uh, you get really beautiful sunny days pretty consistently. Um, so I, I've lived in a few different places. I was in Colorado in the U.S. most recently before moving out here. Uh, certainly pros and cons of every every new place that you live in, but I love Swedes as a whole. I love getting the opportunity, I would say, to 
to experience being an outsider to some degree. Um, you know, Swedes are extremely warm and welcoming, but it's there's there's a lot of beauty behind being, I guess I would say, being a little bit different than everyone else, and being uh, someone who doesn't speak Swedish and needs to uh, to learn a new language and a slightly new culture and making a lot of mistakes along the way. Uh, so for anyone listening, if you have an opportunity to live in another place where people are a little bit different than yourself, I highly recommend it. I'm loving it so far. Uh, I have no intention of, of going back to the U.S. for the next couple of years. I love the U.S., but Sweden has definitely become home for me, and I'm, I'm just very grateful to be out here. And it gives you a chance to celebrate your differences too, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, from all the fun little holidays where you get to see Swedish customs to showing Swedes all sorts of American traditions, um, it, it's a really fun time. I'm I'm extremely grateful for it. Yeah, celebrating uh, differences is also a competitive advantage, isn't it? Oh, definitely, absolutely. Um, yeah, and you know, I, I think it goes, it all goes back to the hiring side of things. When you have different perspectives, you, assuming you build a, a platform where people can share their unique perspectives, you gain really just a whole different way of thinking and can uncover great opportunities for your business and for your own personal growth far faster. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Pat, I'm, I'm curious to know if... They make your life into a movie. What do you think you would want the plot line and title of the movie to be? To clarify, if, if I would have a movie about myself, did I hear that correctly? Yeah, it's a major life into a movie. What, what do you think you would want the plot line to be of that movie? Huh. Oh, I, I've never thought about that. It's a great question. Um, hmm. I don't know. I don't know if my life's interesting enough to turn into a movie. <laughs> well, no, but, uh, you're living abroad and you have a lot of business experience. So, I, I, you know, your life uh, uh, can uh, show people a different perspective and that life is an adventure, couldn't it? I, I love that. I love that. Um, yeah, maybe that could be a cool opportunity to talk, to have it be... Uh, I don't know what the headline would be, but talk about the idea of trying, maybe trying not to stay in your comfort zone for too long. Um, it's it's something I I've, I like to think I've been pretty good at at challenging myself to get out of my comfort zone fairly regularly. Uh, there's a lot of stress that comes when you're moving to a new place, when you're you know meeting new people. But uh, every time that I've stepped out of my comfort zone, that I've gone to a new place. I've uh, met other people that think differently than myself. It's always been for the better. Um, usually I learn a lot about myself and a lot of things that maybe I'm not doing as well as I should be doing. So let's go with that. Let's say, uh, you know, a movie about someone who starts stepping out of their comfort zone and starts growing a lot because of it and all the people that they're able to encounter along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Um... I'm also uh, curious to ask you for any uh, one that's thinking about moving in their business operation abroad or internationally, what's your best piece of advice for them to do it successfully? Yeah, so 
I, a lot of it will certainly depend on the specific country that you're moving from and the country that you're moving to. Uh, assuming that it's you know primarily U.S. listeners that are uh, that are tuning in right now, one of I would say one of the biggest challenges that came into play for us was adjusting to all the hoops that you need to jump through when both in terms of the country that you're moving to and then also the country that you're moving from. Uh, so there are all sorts of personal taxation complications that come into play if you're a U.S. citizen moving abroad. Uh, the U.S. is really unique in that sense that the U.S. taxes based on citizenship rather than residency. Uh, it's one of like, I would guess, half a dozen countries in the world that does that. Uh, but one of the things that was helpful for us that I certainly could have done a better job of is prior to moving out here to do more research to figure out okay, here's all the steps that I need to take in order to establish a business in Sweden. Um, what I ended up going with as my approach is built, setting up a Swedish business entity uh, that ultimately pays my salary. And then the U.S. entity that was, was and always has been in the U.S. stayed in the U.S. Um, to make it a little bit simpler for tax reporting. Uh, but I would say expect the process to maybe take Two three x longer than uh, than you than you think it will. Uh, there's always going to be delays that'll come into play when you're trying to set up a new business, when you're trying to establish an identity in a new country. So yeah, I guess a little bit of rambling aside, I'd probably consolidate it to do plenty of research, give yourself a lot of time before you move, and I would also say, yeah, maybe maybe just benchmark it taking twice as long as you think it realistically will. So that you're not under the gun trying to get stuff done last minute. Yeah, absolutely. It's always important to give yourself a lack of discretionary time to make mistakes, right? I love that. Absolutely. Because yeah, no one's perfect, right, Pat? And we, we don't always get it right on the first time, right? Of course, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Pat, you know, if I give you one, all pass for a day, my friend. And don't feel you could indulge in just one of your guilty pleasures in life. Which one do you think you would prioritize, my friend, knowing that you wouldn't have any repercussions after the day was over? Hmm. So the first thing that comes to mind, and uh, so my wife makes fun of me for this all the time, but my all-time favorite snack food is goldfish and uh, she it cracks me up because she hates the smell of them um and they're also they're like nearly impossible to get in sweden uh so if, you, if i could have a guilty pleasure to eat totally guilt-free i would probably say just snacking on goldfish for several hours and just being able to take it easy well, uh, that, that's an that's innocent guilty pleasure, Pat. So next time you have a, a bag of goldfish, I want you to think of me, okay? Will do, Kevin. Will do. Absolutely. And my final uh, uh, question for you this morning has to do with your own personal and professional legacy and how you want that to be defined. Yeah. So... For me, you know, I, I've been, I would say, really fortunate in life to have a couple of people that I would describe as like unofficial mentors to me. And uh, just 
always great people that I've been able to count on for advice and people that just have more, more experience and are far more intelligent than myself. Uh, and one of those people shared something with me, I would guess probably a decade ago, that's always stuck with me. And that is that his primary focus in life was to focus on being a great brother, a great son, uh, a great father if he had children, uh, a great friend, and a great boss and amongst other things. And ever since that time, I've realized that has been, I would say, a lot of my focus is trying to be a great uh, friend, a great brother, a great son, great husband, great boss, uh, and ultimately someone that just has a slightly more positive impact on call it maybe the 50 to 100 people that I'm closest to in the world. Um, that would be, I would say, really the biggest thing. Um, you know, hopefully just leaving the world a slightly better place than I found it. I'm, uh, I would say I'm, I'm not a particularly religious person. I really hope that I'm wrong about that. But uh, aside from that, just really trying to enjoy the ride while I'm here. I figure I'd probably have, I don't know, 80 to 90 years before I'll, before I'll pass away. So trying to be a, a good person for those, especially those 100 people that are closest to me. And just trying to have a great time along the ride. If I can do those two things, I'd say that I won at the end of the day. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with maximizing the moment, right? Because we only have one life to live, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And Pat, finally, tell me, if people want to get connected with you, what's the best way they can do that? Yeah, so... I'd say a couple ways that you can get in touch with me. So one, if you want to reach out to me just to connect personally, or you want to talk to our team at Intergrowth, feel free to shoot me an email. My email is pat at intergrowth.co. So I-N-T-E-R-G-R-O-W-T-H dot C-O. Um, feel free to shoot me a note, either A, if you want to connect personally, uh, B, if you want to talk about marketing for your business, B, if you're looking for other general business advice. Um, B, if you happen to be in Stockholm and are a fan of craft beers or coffee, those are two of my other big guilty pleasures. So shoot me a note. I'd love to get in touch. Um, outside of that, you can certainly reach out to me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Pat Ahern, followed by the number one. So at P-A-T-A-H-E-R-N, followed by the number one. Uh, would love to connect with you. But yeah, I'd say that's it, Kevin. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just before we get uh, get out of here, since you brought it up, what, what's your favorite craft beer to have in uh, Sweden, there, my friend? Oh man, so I'm a big IPA fan. Um, I I'd, I'd struggle to come up with one specific beer that I that I'm obsessed with at the moment. Um, I got really spoiled being in Colorado for seven years before that because Colorado, in my opinion, has some of the best craft beers in the world. Uh, but you can certainly get some phenomenal ones in Sweden. Omnipoyo is a, a great, uh, great brewery that I love visiting in Stockholm. They have some delicious beers. Uh, but there are a whole bunch of really good beers that you can try over here. I'd say I, I very rarely turn down an IPA, though. Uh, very well. I, and, you know, Pat, I really... Well, I want to thank you for our uh, diverse discussion on everything from business life and uh, life in general, my friend. And I want to thank you for your leadership in the, in the space of uh, search engine optimization. And I want to thank you for uh, being here this morning. It's most appreciated. 
Kevin, it's been my pleasure. Thank you again for having me on. I'm honored to be here.